Welcome to Case in Point, produced by the University of Pennsylvania Law School. I'm your host, Steve Barnes. In this episode, we'll be talking about Puerto Rico's debt crisis, where we are now, what's at stake, and how the Commonwealth may move forward. We're pleased to be joined today by David Skeel, who's the S. Samuel Arsht Professor of Law here at Penn Law. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, first, please tell us where we are now and a bit, if you don't mind, about how Puerto Rico arrived at this juncture. So where we are now is in a very big pit. Uh, Puerto Rico's economy has been declining for a decade for a variety of reasons that we can talk about if you're interested. And uh, about a year ago, Puerto Rico started hinting that it was not going to be able to make all of its debt payments. It missed a small debt payment in December, the end of last year. In May, on May 1, Puerto Rico missed a very big debt payment, $422 million. So at this point, Puerto Rico is in default. Its economy is declining. It is expected to decline a little over 1% this year. The predictions are for 2% decline next year. People are leaving the island. Uh, about 1% of the population each year is leaving at this point. So it. So when we talk about Puerto Rico's debt, roughly speaking, what is the current total of debt and where did it come from? So the debt is in the neighborhood of $70 billion. So you see between 70 and $72 billion usually given as the number. It came from a variety of different places. There are 18 different issuers of debt. Puerto Rico itself is one of the big issuers. Uh, so there's not a short answer to where did it all come from, but a short answer to what has magnified it is uh, in 2006, a decade ago, Puerto Rico lost a tax exemption, a tax exemption for manufacturers that came to Puerto Rico, which had brought a number of the ph pharmaceutical companies to Puerto Rico. It was a huge hit when that tax exemption or that tax break was taken away. Since then, Puerto Rico has essentially kept up the same level of spending and it has lost much of its income and it's filled the gap with debt. So to the extent there's a short answer, the short answer is Puerto Rico has been funding itself with debt for the last decade. And if you look at, at a chart of Puerto Rico's income and its debt over the last decade, the chart looks like this mm -hmm. uh, with the income going down and the debt going up. Right. So um, who are some of the creditors, the main creditors um, to which Puerto Rico owes all this debt? So probably the biggest creditors are bond funds. Uh, there are a handful of bond funds. Uh, one of them is Templeton. Uh, there are a number of others that hold a lot of Puerto Rico's debt. There are a lot of other mutual funds that hold Puerto Rico's debt. Um, pretty much any mutual fund that is a, a municipal bond mutual fund will have at least a little bit of Puerto Rico debt and maybe a lot of Puerto Rico debt. Some other funds have Puerto Rico debt. There also are a fair number of, of retail investors, ordinary citizens, most of them Puerto Ricans who hold Puerto Rico debt. But the, the single biggest holder is bond funds um, and, and mutual funds. Right. So there have been some recent developments about ways in which this can be addressed uh, in Congress and so forth, but um, just for some background, what have been some of the proposals on the table being forwarded by Puerto Rico, being forwarded by creditors, 
others in terms of a way forward? So there have been a variety of proposals. Uh, one, of the, one of the proposals, the first proposals from Puerto Rico was a proposal to give Puerto Rico access to the bankruptcy code. Under current bankruptcy law, because of an amendment to current bankruptcy law back in 1984, Puerto Rico's municipalities cannot use the municipal bankruptcy laws. The municipal bankruptcy laws are chapter nine of the bankruptcy code. Um, every state in the union, all 50 states, can allow its municipalities to file for bankruptcy. That's why Detroit was able to file for bankruptcy. That's why Stockton, California uh, was able to file for bankruptcy because of those municipal bankruptcy laws. Puerto Rico does not have access to bankruptcy at this point. And so the Puerto Rico representative, the non-voting representative in Congress proposed a bill that would simply give Puerto Rico access to bankruptcy. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, in a sense, uh, Senator Orrin Hatch proposed a bill that essentially was a bailout bill. It would give $3 billion to Puerto Rico to help Puerto Rico through at least part of its financial crisis. There also have been um, another, or has been another set of proposals um, those proposals are somewhat similar to what, what I've proposed uh, in my writing, and those are proposals that would include a control board that would have some role with respect to Puerto Rico's finances, and either a bankruptcy option or something that looked like a bankruptcy option. So the option would either be to include Puerto Rico in Chapter 9, the municipal bankruptcy laws of, of our bankruptcy code, or to create a new set of restructuring laws that technically are not bankruptcy laws, but look a lot like them. Right, and um, just for a moment before we get to your proposals and to congressional action, talking a little bit about bankruptcy for Puerto Rico, uh, it seemed like based on uh, at least a couple of proposals from Congress um, that there was a certain partisan tinge to um, the prospects for bankruptcy for Puerto Rico. Um, did you see that at all leading up to where we are now? Uh, I did. Uh, throughout much of the process, Democrats have generally been sympathetic to the bankruptcy idea and most, not all, but most Republicans have been critical of it. So a few Republicans have been sympathetic from the beginning. Jeb Bush supported bankruptcy and uh, Newt Gingrich uh, is on record as supporting bankruptcy and, and a handful of other people. Many Republicans have been opposed to bankruptcy. They uh, appear to be sympathetic to the views of, of bondholders, many of whom do not want bankruptcy. One of the arguments that they've made, which is an argument that I, I personally don't think is credible, but it's an argument that's been made, is that bankruptcy is a form of bailout and all bailouts are bad and therefore bankruptcy is a terrible idea. The reason that I don't think it's a credible argument is because the people who are pushing it most strongly are bondholders who would really like a real bailout. They would like the government to pay them in full. Bankruptcy would not pay the bondholders in full. The reason it theoretically is a, is a bailout is because Puerto Rico would not be required to pay everything that, he owe, that it owes. And so 
uh, in some people's minds, if you don't pay everything you owe, no matter how you're not paying everything you owe, that's a bailout. In my view, um, that's not what a bailout is. A bailout is when there is outside funding that saves you from your own um, uh, from your own financial difficulties, which is not what we're talking about with bankruptcy. Great. And meanwhile, of course, um, there's a U.S. Supreme Court case pending. Could you give us the facts of that, please? Sure. So uh, the Supreme Court case arose because Puerto Rico doesn't have access to bankruptcy. So what, what Puerto Rico did two years ago is it said, well, we've been excluded from bankruptcy. We can't use the municipal bankruptcy laws. So we'll put in place our own restructuring law. And in 2014, Puerto Rico enacted something that's usually called the Recovery Act, which is a Puerto Rico restructuring law for Puerto Rico municipalities, its public utilities and other municipalities. Looks a lot like municipal bankruptcy, but it is a Puerto Rico law. So Puerto Rico put this law in place in 2014. Uh, two bond funds immediately challenged the legislation saying that it is not permissible, that it's prohibited by uh, the bankruptcy laws, uh, which if you are not a bankruptcy nerd might seem like a pretty odd argument to be making, but it turns out it's not a silly argument. Um, and, uh, and a federal trial court and a federal appeals court both agreed with this argument. Um, the logic of the argument is Puerto Rico does not count as a state for the purposes of who can file for bankruptcy under the bankruptcy laws. So Puerto Rico is not a state uh, for the purposes of who can file for municipal bankruptcy. You have to be a state to authorize your municipalities to file for bankruptcy. Therefore, uh, Puerto Rico's municipalities uh, can't file. Everybody agrees with that, both sides of the Supreme Court case. But what the bond fund said is that's the only thing that doesn't apply to Puerto Rico. Every other provision in the municipal bankruptcy laws does apply to Puerto Rico. One of those is a provision that essentially says states can't enact their own restructuring laws. Um, and so what the bond funds have said is that provision applies to Puerto Rico. That provision prevents Puerto Rico from passing its own restructuring law. And the other provision, the provision that says Puerto Rico is not a state uh, for the purposes of authorizing its municipalities to file for bankruptcy, keeps Puerto Rico out of bankruptcy. And as I said, the federal district court and the federal court of appeals both agreed with the bondholders and uh, struck down Puerto Rico's legislation. It is now in the Supreme Court. It will presumably be decided in the next several weeks. Uh, the Supreme Court is expected to have a ruling by the end of June. My guess is there actually is a pretty good chance Puerto Rico is going to win um, that case. From having read the transcript of the oral arguments, Puerto Rico seemed to me to make a, a quite a compelling case. Now, perhaps I should say um, I co-wrote an amicus brief on, the, on Puerto Rico's side uh, with uh, a friend of mine, another scholar named Clay Gillette, who's a local governance uh, local government scholar. So 
we're kind of rooting for Puerto Rico, but the arguments that Puerto Rico made are not the same arguments that we made, and I, I thought their arguments were pretty compelling. Okay, so it seems pretty clear um, what the creditors, at least some of the creditors, don't want. What do some or possibly most of the creditors want, and are they unified um, with these wants or needs or requests? So what, not surprisingly, what the creditors would really want is to be paid in full. Right. And since it doesn't appear that Puerto Rico is capable of paying them in full, they would love for uh, a helicopter to drop a bunch of money on Puerto Rico so Puerto Rico could, um, could pay them. And if the helicopter came from Washington, that would be just fine uh, with the creditors. But the, the main divide among the creditors is between creditors who lent money to Puerto Rico itself and creditors who lent money to or bought bonds of one of the other entities, the electricity company or, um, or the sewer company or, the univer or, San Juan, um, or San Juan, although San Juan's not a big piece of this, um, of, of this story. The ones who lent money or, or bought bonds of Puerto Rico itself would be perfectly happy if Puerto Rico's municipalities were able to restructure their debts because if the electricity company can restructure its debts, people who lent money to Puerto Rico itself are more likely to get paid. Whereas the people who, who bought bonds from or, or lent money to the municipalities they would rather there be no bankruptcy because if there is if there's any bankruptcy they're they're first in the restructuring line and they're going to uh, to get restructured so the I guess the short answer to the question would be uh, the differences among creditors arise uh, as a result of having uh, being owed money by different entities and the main difference is whether you bought bonds of Puerto Rico or one of its municipalities. There are a couple of other differences as well. There's, there's another group of bonds that are called COFINA that are fi financed by sales tax. There's some question about the constitutionality of those bonds under, under, under the Puerto Rico Constitution. And so they have their own set of issues and, and not all bondholders are sympathetic to them. Right, so now here we are. Uh, in the middle of 2016, and you recently wrote a brief um, where you proposed a, a, a way forward. What is it, in your view? So the way forward, in my view, is a combination of a control board and a restructuring framework. So it looks a little bit like some of the bills uh, that have been proposed. It has those two key parts, and the reason that you need both the control board and the restructuring option, in my view, is that neither one by itself is adequate. So uh, it is clear that Puerto Rico cannot pay $70 billion. It is clear that, that those obligations are going to have to be restructured. And you can either restructure them under an orderly legal framework, like a bankruptcy law or a restructuring law, or Puerto Rico is going to have to try to do it on itself, and it's going to be messy and disorderly, and there's no telling uh, what will end up happening. But the restructuring by itself, in my view, is not enough, because it's clear that there also are governance problems in Puerto Rico, as there invariably are with a public entity that gets into this kind of financial distress. There is 
uh, government that is dysfunctional in various ways. There are dozens and dozens of different agencies, for instance, many of which are duplicative of one another. There needs to be a, um, an addressing of those governance issues and a, a uh, elimination of some of the, um, the duplication within the government a more credible system of determining what their revenues are, more credible budgets, and for that, I think you need a control board. And so I have proposed, as, as others have proposed, a control board that looks uh, a lot like the control board that was used in Washington in the, in the 1990s. In, in Washington, D.C., a control board was put in place when Washington was in financial trouble in the mid-1990s. It actually worked very well. Um, um, could you just describe what the control board um, looks like, how it's constituted, so listeners can get a sense, and viewers can get a sense of how it works? Sure. So there's, there are a variety of, of ways you could constitute it, but usually it will have between five and seven members. Um, and there will be some formula for choosing who the members are. With the, I believe this is true with the Washington Control Board. It's definitely true with the proposal I've made, and, and I've also made this proposal with, with Clay Gillette, this co-author and friend of mine. Our proposal would have five voting members in it and two ex officio members, so a total of seven members. But between uh, five and seven members, and our proposal would have the president appoint um, all of the voting uh, members. There are a variety of other uh, ways you could, you could choose the control board. You could allow the House leader to, to choose somebody. You could allow the Senate leader, uh, the U.S. House and Senate leader, to choose people. You really could have anybody um, choose the members of the control board, but you're, you're likely to have the President and Congress uh, choosing the members because this is a federal control board. So, so that's the membership of the board. Uh, it'll ordinarily have voting rules for how they make decisions. The obvious voting rule would be a majority of the five or of the seven members uh, will make any decision. And then you give the control board whatever powers you want to give them. It can be anything from the control board makes recommendations to the government on the one hand to on the other hand the the control board has the power to veto budgets that it considers out of line uh, to veto a fiscal plan uh, for the, the future of puerto rico or whatever it is you can give the control board the power to decide whether whether puerto rico can borrow money or not um, you can give the control board the power to oversee the contracts Puerto Rico enters into. So that there, you, you can do whatever you want, pretty much, with the, with the control board. Not surprisingly, Puerto Rico tends to like a control board where the control board is making recommendations and doesn't have formal authority. A lot of folks in Congress think that the control board needs to have formal authority, and at the least it needs to be able to veto budgets that look to be out of line. And the restructuring proposal you have? So my restructuring proposal uh, is a proposal that would not be under the bankruptcy law. So it would not simply add Puerto Rico to the existing bankruptcy code. It would be a territory-specific uh, restructuring proposal. So it, it would be a proposal that would apply to Puerto Rico and the other territories. It would look a lot like municipal bankruptcy. It would have the same restructuring features in many respects. 
Um, but there are a couple reasons why I think it makes more sense to have it outside of the bankruptcy code. One reason is that Congress has pretty broad authority, almost complete authority over the territories. And so you can do more um, uh, than Congress was able to do under the bankruptcy code. And to me, that's an argument for putting the framework outside of, um, of the bankruptcy code. Another reason I like for it to be outside of the bankruptcy code is I think it's essential that Puerto Rico's debts be uh, part of the restructuring, not just its municipalities. So you could do that in municipal bankruptcy. You could say Puerto Rico's municipalities can use municipal bankruptcy, so can Puerto Rico, but that's a little inconsistent with what we currently do with municipal bankruptcy. And there also is a lot of concern among some lawmakers that if you let Puerto Rico restructure its debts, pretty soon people are going to be saying states ought to be able to restructure their debts. If you put the Puerto Rico restructuring in its own little box, its own little territory bankruptcy law, I think it should calm some of those worries, the worries that this is just the first step towards state bankruptcy. Right. So now, of course, there is some action going on in Congress. Um, could you comment a little bit about that, please, and um, to what extent, if any, the outcome of the Supreme Court case would have on that? Uh, good question, especially that, uh, the second question. So the, on the first question, what's going on in Congress, what is going on in Congress is the House Natural Resources Committee working with uh, the, the Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, and with the Obama administration, with the Treasury Department, has put together a bill that goes by the acronym PROMESA, Puerto Rico, and I have to look down to say, Puerto Rico Oversight, Management, and Economic Stability Act. And PROMESA looks a lot like we've, what we've just been talking about. It looks a lot like the proposal that, that Clay Gillette and I have made. Um, it is a proposal for a control board plus a restructuring framework. And the control, the control board would have seven members um, on it. They would, all, well, they would all ultimately be chosen by the president, except um, the president would be choosing from lists provided to him by various other players. The House, uh, the House majority leader would propose two. Uh, the, the Senate majority leader, I think, would propose one of those people. Um, the House minority proposes one. The House, uh, Senate minority, I think, proposes one as well. And however you, you work it together, it comes out to seven control board members, six of which are proposed by other, um, other politicians uh, or uh, are, um, a list is provided by each of those other political leaders and President Obama chooses one from, from the short list. We come up with seven members. The control board has pretty strong powers. It has the power to veto budgets. Um, Puerto Rico is uh, instructed to make a five-year fiscal plan and the control board has the power to veto that if the, if the control board is not satisfied with the plan. So it's a, it's a pretty tough control board. 
On the restructuring side, it is a restructuring framework that looks a lot like what I've just described. It is a territory restructure, restructuring framework, not under the bankruptcy code. Um, it's a relatively robust restructuring framework. I think there are some issues that will, um, some questions that will arise as to who is protected and who is not protected, but it's, it's a basic uh, bankruptcy-like restructuring framework. So the bill, in my view, looks quite good. It also looks quite promising. Uh, the Wall Street Journal has come out in favor of it. The Washington Post has come out in favor of it. I suspect the New York Times will come out in favor of it. Uh, there aren't too many things that have fit that description in, uh, in the past year or two. So I, I think there's a decent chance it will pass. What it will look like when it passes, obviously, is another, another question. But um, I think there is a fair amount of momentum for passing a bill and passing it soon, sometime before July 1. What does that mean for the Supreme Court case? Um, that's a sort of tricky question, it seems to me. I, I, I think the practical significance of the Supreme Court case goes way down if this law gets put in place because this law um, does more than the Puerto Rico restructuring law would have done. And so in a sense, it swallows the, the Puerto Rico restructuring law. But I don't know that it makes the case moot. I think the issue is, um, is still relevant. The control board and the restructuring, well, the restructuring framework would be permanent, I believe, under the proposed legislation. The control board would not. Um, uh, so I don't know. It's an interesting question whether what the Supreme Court will do if this law gets put in place. If the Supreme Court will say, uh, we don't have anything left to do, we'll just, we'll just leave this, or whether the Supreme Court will conclude the case still matters. I think it still matters because it, there still is the question whether Puerto Rico can pass its own restructuring law. That's not going to be changed. Um, uh, I don't think, by in any way I can see by this legislation. So I don't think it moots the Supreme Court case, but it, it significantly reduces its practical significance if this law gets put in place. Great. And what does Puerto Rico's government think of this, <laughs> what sounds like a rather um, tough uh, congressional bill. So I've actually heard mixed things about that. What Puerto Rico's government is saying publicly is this is awful, this is imperialism, this is colonialism, our sovereignty is not being respected, Congress is marching in and taking control just like they might have done a hundred years ago, um, uh, this is terrible. That, that is what a lot of the public statements have sounded like so far. Behind the scenes it's a little bit more complicated it's, it, um, it seems to me and, and I've heard some Puerto Rico lawmakers, I think, think that the control board is necessary. And so it's, although they anticipate that it will be painful, I think they are of the view that, um, that it's necessary and it could actually make things better. So at this point, uh, you certainly would not say Puerto Rico is cheering this legislation on, but I, I don't think there's a unified wall of resistance either. Mm -hmm. And do you think this bill will pass in Congress just to 
I'm guessing it will. Um, I'm not very good at, at these kinds of predictions. I'm not very good at Supreme Court predictions either, so I will lay down both of them. I predict Puerto Rico wins in the Supreme Court, and I predict this legislation passes. Um, and this will now be on record uh, and probably may well embarrass me down the road because uh, anything can happen both in the Supreme Court and in Congress, so it's certainly not a sure thing. Well, there's only eight members right now in the Supreme Court, and it's an election year, so who knows, right? For sure. And <laughs> actually, give you a pass. So. Uh, let's hope, although, although uh, that's made the Supreme Court case um, even more interesting than it would otherwise be. It's not an eight-member Supreme Court case for the Supreme um, for the Puerto Rico case, it's actually a seven-member right. court um, because Justice Alito has recused himself. Um, and I would guess that that increases Puerto Rico's odds, that particular configuration of, um, of, of the court. But, uh, but even without that, I think Puerto Rico has a, would have a, a very good chance of winning. Great. Well, this has been a fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, and we look forward to everyone joining us for our next episode of Case in Point. Thanks again. And thank you. Case in Point, Great Minds on Law and Life, produced by the University of Pennsylvania Law School.